0: Volume One, Chapter Fourteen of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, BC. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Fourteen bavasour born to a splendid fortune and left by the early death of his parents to the care of guardians who while they took sufficient care of his property had very little influence over his mind and his morals had never yet formed a wish which it was not immediately in the power to gratify the growing inclination therefore that he found towards celestina was painful and uneasy to him, for he had too much honor and too true a regard for Willoughby to suffer a thought injurious to him to dwell on his mind, and he had been capable of entertaining wishes or forming schemes against his happiness, he knew that Celestina's attachment to him was not to be shaken, and that he should excite her contempt. An abhorrence instead of continuing to enjoy the confidence and regard with which she now favoured him but the more hopeless his partiality for her was the more restless he of course became in its increase for several days he endeavoured to conquer or at least to conceal it by redoubling his gaiety he romped laughed and rattled till his violent spirits became even distressing to celestina all however would not do and as he had no notion of enduring any kind of uneasiness while there was a chance of relieving himself he at length resolved to quit willoughby and not to return to him till after he was actually married and this resolution he prepared to execute the following morning, which was the preceding one to that which was fixed for the marriage. "'I shall leave you this morning, George,' said he to Willoughby, as they were at breakfast together. "'Leave me,' cried Willoughby, in much surprise. "'For what reason? "'Because I hate all formal ceremonies, and have besides business elsewhere.' ridiculous surely you are not in earnest perfectly so believe me never more in earnest in my life I'll come back to you in a week or ten days but I positively go this very day Thou art a strange fellow and there is never any telling where to have thee did you not promise to be father to the brides what will Celestina say why probably as you do that i am a strange fellow you make me uneasy harry said willoughby very gravely whimsical and unsettled as you are it must be surely something more than mere whim which urges you to leave me at such time not at all answered he gaily it is the time in the world you can best spare me and upon my soul I have business to do, which I have foolishly neglected, and which I must either go after now or a fortnight hence, Which, when I intend to be with you. And so, my dear George, will talk no more about it. My servants are getting ready, and will be at the door in a minute. Oh, they are driving round. Well, George, God bless you, my dear fellow give my love to the girls and tell celestina to save me a great piece of bride cake willoughby would again have remonstrated but Vasseur, in his wild way ran on rallying about him about his marriage and refusing to listen to him till the courticle was ready in which he stepped again after again promising to return in a fortnight and immediately drove away willoughby though long accustomed to the starts of caprice from his thoughtless friend was equally surprised and disconcerted at a resolution for which he could not account he was far from the remotest idea of the real cause and occupied as his thoughts were by celestina he investigated not so deeply the motives Of his friend's actions as at another time he might have done on the preceding day moved his tender reproaches that she had no confidence in his honor and affected needless precaution Celestina had acceded to his wishes that she would allow him as the day was fixed for Thursday to fetch her to Alverston in the morning of Wednesday where Jessie was to meet her, and that she would then take her last leave of her humble abode on Thorpe Common. As soon thereafter as Vasseur was gone, he dispatched Cathcart for Jessie, and hastened himself to Celestina, who was ready for him. As they journeyed towards the house that was henceforth to be their home, Willoughby with more than usual tenderness in his voice and manner, entered into a more minute detail than he ever yet done of the plans he had formed for their future life. With the sanguine hand of useful hope he drew a picture of uninterrupted felicity, which Celestina, involuntarily sighing, thought too perfect to be realized, and with timid apprehension, for which she could not account and was unwilling to betray she internally asked herself wherefore she could expect to deserve or enjoy blessings so much superior to the common lot of humanity all however that might have been to another an alloy to happiness was none to her so far as it related only to herself in marrying her Willoughby had resigned all prospect of ever restoring his family to the splendid fortune and high consequence Possessed by his ancestors nor could he even retrieve the estate? He had left or keep up the place. He was so fond of but by relinquishing all superfluous expenses and Confining himself to that mode of life which was some years since adopted but would now be thought below the pretensions of a man possessed only of a thousand a year in fact willoughby found on a close inspection of his affairs that by living within that income he might in about ten years clear without dismembering his estate it is enough for happiness my celestina he would say it is enough to afford us all the decencies and all the comforts of life and to assist those who may not have either oh how little reason we have to envy those who have more celestina assented with her whole heart and even an uneasy reflection arose there for a moment representing that for her he resigned the splendor and luxury in which he might have lived she recollected her opinion of the greater part of those who moved amid a succession of those luxuries and asked herself whether there was one among them who was so much respected by others or so well content with himself as willoughby would probably be living as he proposed she remembered how often when she was accustomed to nearly Many of those who, by advantageous advances, dazzle at a distance, she had been compelled to assent to the truth of that severe expression of the satirist, which says that it may be seen of how small estimation is exorbitant wealth in the sight of God, by His bestowing it on the most unworthy. Of all mortals the departure of vasovir of which willoughby had with some marks of regret and surprise on his first meeting celestina informed her had given her concern as it seemed to have been a disappointment to him but for herself she felt rather relieved by the absence of a too lively guest there was at times an unguarded vivacity about him of which she was not always able to check the excess and though she had never any idea of his partiality to her nor thought him capable of a serious attachment to any woman there had of late been a warmth and earnestness in his manner which she was afraid of being called prudish if she attempted to repress, and yet she could not but feel that it was improper to allow it in her present situation, and would be more so when she became the wife of Willoughby. On their arrival at Elvenstone the lawyer was ready with the settlements. They were immediately executed in the presence of Cathcart and Jessie, and when that unpleasant ceremony was over a walk filled up the time till dinner nothing was ever so gay and happy as willoughby celestina was now mistress of his house his happiness was secured almost beyond the reach of fate and since only a few hours were to intervene before their marriage he tenderly chid celestina for her pensive gravity and in endeavoured to engage her thoughts by necessary arrangements that he proposed in the house, and by enlarging on those topics which she had listened to with so much complacency in the morning. After dinner another walk was proposed, but just as they were rising from table a servant entered with a letter for Willoughby, which he said had been brought express from Exeter. He broke the seal which, like the hand of the direction, was unknown to him. He ran over the contents hastily, changing countenance as he read, and then inquiring if the messenger waited, hastily left the room. Celestina, who watched his looks, was alarmed both by them and his manner of leaving the room. A moment's reflection subdued her apprehensions. But they were presently renewed and heightened by his sending to speak with Cathcart, who, after being with him almost a quarter of an hour, returned by his directions to inform her that he was gone on horseback to Exeter to meet some people who had sent to him about business which would admit of no delay. He begged Cathcart to tell her that it would be soon dispatched, and— that he should certainly return in a few hours. Celestina knew from his own account every circumstance of his fortune. She knew that except the mortgages on his estate, the interest of which had been punctually paid, he had no pecuniary claims to answer but his debt to Vasavir. She was equally certain that he had no dispute with anybody, and that, therefore, it could not be an affair of honor, and she thought it certain that if Lady Molyneux or any of his relations had been in the neighborhood, he would have made no mystery of their arrival. His abrupt departure, therefore, without seeing her, surprised and troubled her, and neither her own reason, which urged how unlikely it was that any disagreeable business should detain him, or the arguments of Cathcart and Jesse could quiet or mitigate the anxiety which every moment of his absence increased. Four, five, six hours had now passed by Celestina, while it was light in traversing the avenue and the road that led towards Exeter and after it became dark in listening at the door to every noise it was ten o'clock a still starlit night a low wind conveyed now the distant murmur of the waterfall in the park now the voices of men from the village where everything soon sunk into repose neither cathcart nor Jessie could longer disguise their fears though neither knew what to dread but while they affected to believe celestina's apprehensions in great measure groundless their anxious returns to the door to listen their restless inquietude and various conjunctures convinced her too evidently that they participated the fears they pretended to condemn at length about eleven o'clock a horse or as they were willing to believe horses were heard to come fast along the road the park gate opened and shut with violence it was Willoughby they all fondly hoped all ran out eagerly impatient to meet him as the horsemen approached however they distinguished him to be not Willoughby but the servant who had attended him where is your master Hugh said Celestina is he coming is he well the man took a letter from his pocket and answered in a dejected tone. No, madame, not coming. He sent me with this letter to Mr Cathcart. Celestina followed trembling, while Cathcart ran into the hall and by the light which hung there read these words Dear Cathcart, come to me immediately. I shall not return tonight. I know not if but assure celestina of my safety lose not a moment in coming to yours ever g w swan exter wednesday night the painful surprise celestina had before endured was happiness and ease in comparison of the vague but terrible apprehensions that now seized her what could detain him against his wishes what meant the unfinished sentence i know not if what could he want with cathcart and why not disclose the cause of his stay and his business with cathcart if it was only an affair of little consequence since he could not but know how much his sudden departure must alarm her the note too seemed to have been written with a trembling hand the lines were crooked and the letters hardly formed and the paper blotted all denoted hurry and confusion very unlike willoughby's manner in matters of mere business and the indications of some impending evil alarming enough in themselves were exaggerated by the terrors which had now taken entire possession of the mind of celestina unable to restrain her emotions she ran hardly knowing whither she went to the stable where the servant who had brought the note was getting ready the horse on which cathcart was to go she eagerly questioned the man who was with his master he answered that he did not know that he saw nobody with him but he had heard at the inn that two ladies had come thither that morning, who had sent the message to Elvenstone, that he believed they had been with his master. But he did not know, and when his master spoke to him, and gave him the letter for Mr. Cathcart, he was alone, and seemed very uneasy, saying, however, little more to him than to desire he would make what haste he could. This account served only to increase the terrible obscurity which tormented Celestina. A thousand other questions occurred. Were these ladies yet at the inn? Did they travel in their own chaise? Had they servants with them? Hugh could not answer the first question, but the other two being such as lay more within the reach of his observation, he answered that there were certainly neither servants nor horses at the inn belonging to any stranger when he came away. Cathcart was by this time ready, and seeing the extreme inquietude of Celestina, he assumed the appearance of tranquility he was far from feeling, and that it was probably some business relative to Mr. Willoughby's estates, which had been overlooked and neglected, that at all events he would be back in a few hours, when it was almost certain that if Mr. Willoughby did not return himself, he should be commissioned fully to acquaint her of the reasons of his detention, and convince her that her fears for his safety were groundless. In the meantime he besought her to endeavour to quiet her spirits and to take some repose. Cathcart then departed, and Celestina, leaning on the arm of Jessie, returned to the house. but to follow the advice he had given her was not in her power. The little she had gathered from the servant served to awaken new alarms, not less painful though very different from those which had at first assailed her then she had a confused idea that the abrupt departure of vasovur had been occasioned by some misunderstanding between them which had produced a challenge it was unlikely but it was not impossible now she gave up that conjecture for another And supposed that willoughby might have formed some connection or engagement with some woman who hearing of his intended marriage had thus prevented it by urging her prior claim to his hand this supposition was however more improbable than the other from his known integrity and unblemished honor from his long and tender attachment to her and from the whole tenor of his morals and his conduct but however unlikely it was not quite impossible and the anxious and alarmed spirit of Celestina ran over the remotest possibilities but found in all only exchange of anguish as Cathcart had promised to return in a few hours Celestina certain of not being able to sleep would not go to bed and jessie who shared all her solicitude as the time approached that cathcart had named for the probable period of his return they were again both at the window and again eagerly listening to every noise the sun arose but discovered not the objects of their solicitude and celestina now unable to rest within the house besought Jessie to go down with her to the end of the long avenue of Elms, and onto the road, as if the attempt to meet those they expected rendered the suspense less distracting. Weary of conjecture, and fatigued both in mind and body, they moved slowly and melancholy along. Neither of them spoke, for neither had any comfort to offer the other of the laborers who were come by this time to their work they inquired if they had heard of their master or seen mr cathcart on the road but no intelligence could be gained of either the peasants however alarmed by the questions and by the looks of those who asked them all eagerly offered to go anywhere to do anything their master's service might require and begged Celestina to employ them, but though she had several times during the long and anxious night thought of sending a messenger with a letter to Willoughby or even of going herself, she now remembered that all the intelligence she could gain from the first expedient she would probably receive from Cathcart before any messenger could get to Exeter, and for the second, that it might be displeasing to Willoughby were she to appear thus prying into his actions and mistrustful of his honour. Nothing therefore remained but to bear with what firmness she could suspense which every moment rendered more insupportability cruel. Hardly conscious of what she was doing, and insensible of personal fatigue, she had advanced near a mile beyond the park, and had partly crossed a sandy heath, over which the high road lay, when Jesse hastily cried out that Cathcart was coming. He saw them at the same moment, and hastened on, leaped from his horse as soon as he came near them. His countenance was little likely to quiet their fears. He was as pale as death, and his lips trembled as he spoke to Celestina and assured her in a voice that seemed to contradict the words it hardly articulated that mr willoughby was well perfectly well and had authorized him to say everything to her that might make her easy the hurried manner in which he spoke this the impression of uneasiness on his countenance, and the improbability that willoughby should be well and not return himself all struck forcibly on the mind of celestina and convinced her that something very fatal had happened you deceive me cathcart cried she in the wild and tremulous voice of despair i know you deceive me something very dreadful has befallen him he is dead or dying i will go to him however i will know the worst cathcart now took her hands and with the utmost earnestness began again to repeat his assurances that Willoughby was not only alive but well. Celestina, interrupting him, asked, "'Why then do I not see him? Why is he detained? And what business of fatal import could keep him so long? Cathcart, I will not. I cannot be deceived. Tell me at once what I have to suffer and i will endeavor to bear it but this intersitude these apprehensions i cannot endure another hour nor another moment while this dialogue passed he had taken one of her arms within his and having made a sign to jessie to take the other they led her gently towards elveston park gate Cathcart was silent for a moment as if considering how he could soften the shock which was necessary for him to give her while celestina continued impatiently urging him to tell her the worst whatever it might be let me repeat to you dearest Madame," said he let me repeat to you that you have nothing to fear for the life of our dear friend and surely whatever other intelligence i have to impart other intelligence cried celestina you have then something to impart which all my fortitude is required to sustain willoughby but no it is impossible he cannot be unworthy he cannot have cruelly deceived me it is impossible it is indeed replied cathcart in my opinion, impossible for Mr. Willoughby to be guilty of any unworthy action. you, Miss de Moray, have I am convinced a strength of understanding very uncommon. Cathcart cried, Celestina with energy, this is no time for flattery. Prove your opinion of my understanding by daring to entrust me with this fearful secret. The knowledge of it cannot." give me so much pain as your hesitation i would very fain obey you replied he what then will you say if i tell you that though i am wholly ignorant of the cause of a resolution so extraordinary so unexpected i am afraid it will be very long before you see willoughby again and that he is now many miles distant from us though upon my soul by all my hopes here and hereafter i swear that i neither know the motives of his departure nor whither he is gone celestina prepared as she was for some heavy blow found this hideous uncertainty more than she could sustain that willoughby should have quitted her probably for ever without assigning any cause at the very moment they were to be united that he should not himself have seen her to have softened the pain this cruel and unaccountable event must inflict, that he should not even have written to her, but should, in this abrupt and unfeeling way, abandon her to all the misery of endless conjuncture, regret, and disappointment, were circumstances so unexpected, so insupportable, That her reason which would have sustained her in almost any other exigence seemed for a moment to yield to this she became extremely faint her knees trembled a cold dew hung on her forehead and all the effort she could make was to signify by a motion of her hand that she could go no farther they were then more than half a mile from the park gate but the road along which they were passing was worn, and a bank on either side offered her a seat. Cathcart and Jessie sat down by her, both silent and almost as much affected as she was. She leaned her head on Jessie, and, and after a moment a deep sigh a little relieved her. She turned her eyes mournfully on Cathcart with an expression he perfectly understood, as seeming to say, Tell me all, and I will try to endure it. Do not think, I conjure you, my dear madam, continued he, that the ardent and tender affection of Mr. Willoughby for you is diminished. Were it possible for me to do justice to the agonies I saw him in when he told me that a strange necessity, a necessity he could not explain, compelled him to quit you, if language could describe the wretchedness in which he seemed to be involved do not describe it dear cathart said celestina speaking with difficulty i can bear my own misery terrible as it is better than the thoughts of his mitigate his sufferings then admirable miss de Moray," interrupted cathcart by collecting all your fortitude and remembering how much reliance you ought to have on his honor and his affection. And let me be able to say, when I write to him, that this sad separation has not injured your health, nor your opinion of him. Believe me, such is the only intelligence that can administer any consolation to the torn heart of my noble friend. I will try then, Cathcart, that he shall have it. You know where to write to him? He expects to hear from you, and from me he wishes not to hear. He told me, resumed Cathcart, that as soon as he was able he would write to you himself, that he was going immediately to London, whither he should go afterwards he knew not, but that a hateful mystery, then he stopped, seemed to repent having said so much charged me to assure you of his everlasting affection started from his seat walked about the room wildly then again repeated his charge to me that I would not leave you or suffer Jessie to leave you but that you would remain at Alverstone till you heard from him again he hesitated doubted and wringing my hand asked me with disturbed looks in a tremendous voice, if ever wretchedness equalled his, I would have besought him to tell me from whence it arose, but as it foreseeing whither my inquiry would tend, he stopped me. "'Cathcart,' cried he, "'you know I have great confidence in you, and that I would entrust you with this fatal mystery, which I go now to clear up.' but I have sworn never to divulge the cause of my—what can I say, O Celestina, best and loveliest of human beings? What must be those sufferings which Willoughby dares not communicate to you, which your pity and tenderness—' Again he broke off and hurried out of the room. He returned, however, in a few moments, somewhat more calm, and alarmed as I had been, By his agitation by the wild eagerness of his manner and the incoherence of his words i thought it better to soothe him than obtain an explanation which it cost him so much even to speak of i contented myself therefore with assuring him of my implicit obedience to all his commands and of my conviction that whatever might be your distress and anxiety, you would acquiesce in all his wishes, and that your reliance on him, your affection for him, would not be shaken by this involuntary separation, which, dear sir, continued I, will surely be temporary only. I was going on, but he checked me. I know not said he with quickness i know not involuntarily god knows it is but when it will end o celestina is this the day which i have with so much delight anticipated he now struck his open hand on his forehead again started away from me and again relapsed into all the agonies of sorrow celestina had not hitherto shed a tear stunned by the greatness and singularity of her misfortune terrified by the evil which its obscurity rendered doubly fearful her senses were for some moments suspended but willoughby weeping and in despair willoughby torn from her by an invisible and resistless hand awakened all her tenderness And tears filled her eyes as with a deep sigh she cast them towards heaven and with clasped hands and in a faint voice cried wherever he goes whatever he does may god protect and bless him and if the remembrance of poor celestina causes him any unhappiness may he forget her indeed cathcart added she Indeed his happiness, and not my own, has been always the first wish of my heart." She would have gone on, but her voice failed her. After a moment's silence, however, she seemed to have found some degree of fortitude and strength. "'Let us return to the house, my dear Jessie,' said she, while I am able, and let us consider what it will be right to do. glad to see her more composed than he had dared to hope, now again led her forward with the assistance of Jessie. But their help seemed no longer requisite. She hurried on with as much quickness as if she expected her suspense to be terminated on her reaching the house, where she arrived out of breath, trembling and agitated. She spoke not. But hurried through the hall into the library, where they usually sat, and there the first object that struck her was Mr. Thorold, the clergyman who had been engaged to marry them, the same who had, at the request of Willoughby, so effectually exerted his zeal and friendship in introducing Jessie Woodburn to her grandfather, and of whose society Willoughby was very fond. He laid down his book on the entrance of Celestina, and prepared to salute her with cheerful congratulations, for it was not now more than eight o'clock. He had put his horse into the stable himself, as was his custom, and walked into the library where he had been some time expecting Willoughby, and began to wonder, as he was a very early riser as his delay all ideas of bridal festivity however were driven from his mind the moment he beheld the countenance of celestina my dear miss Dormorey cried he approaching her are you ill has anything happened celestina struck by the sight of him could not answer but sat down in the first chair she found and cathcart seeing how greatly she was affected took mr Thurald, took mr thorold by the arm and led him into the garden celestina in the meantime leaning against Jessie, who hung weeping over her attempted again to recover her resolution and composure she sighed deeply "Jessie, my love said she when she could command her voice i wish to return to thorpe heath methinks i am now an intruder here Send, therefore, for some conveyance for me, and think for me, my dear friend, for I fear I am incapable of judging for myself. The timid and soft-tempered Jessie was but little likely to direct or support her. Let us, dear Madame," said she, speak to Cathcart again before you take any resolution. Let us hear Mr. Thorold's opinion do you then attend them for that purpose replied celestina for myself i cannot hear them i should i think be better where i left alone for a few moments i will go therefore to my own room my own room alas i have none in this house let me go however Jessie, to that which i used to call mine I would recall my dissipated and distracted spirits, I would acquire some degree of reason and resignation, and since wretchedness is now irrevocably mine, I would teach this rebellious heart to submit to it." Jessie answered not, and Celestina, rising, walked slowly through the hall, leaning on her friend's arm towards the staircase. As she passed she saw Willoughby's hat and gloves on the table where he generally placed them, a book he had been reading to her. As they sauntered into the garden the preceding day, lay by them. Celestina started as if a spectre had met her. The painful contrast between her present situation and that of a few hours before struck her forcibly. She shuddered, and, snatching up the book, hastened away with it, as if she apprehended somebody would take it from her. When they reached the door of the apartment which she had chosen for her dressing room, she turned to Jessie and, with a melancholy and forced composure, bade her adieu for an hour. "'You will go, my dear,' said she, to Mr. Thorold. And Mr Cathcart, and say to the former with my compliments that I will endeavour to see him if he will be kind enough to stay till ten o'clock and breakfast here, and tell him too that I depend much on his friendly advice, and that it cannot be given to any being who wants it more or will be more sensible of its value. End of Volume 1, Chapter 14 Recording by Lindemarie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. End of Volume 1